everybody. I'm Jordan Tenbaum, Social Media Manager at Soligo. Welcome to Soligo's Technology Leaders Podcast. I'm joined as always by Mark Simon, Vice President of Strategy at Soligo, my co-host. And, Hello. And we have a very special guest, Angela Dugan, Vice President of UX at Beyond Trust. Angela, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing Hi. today? Good. How are you? We are doing fantastic. Very excited to have you on. Um, we're going to jump right in. The uh, first question for you. Do you tell me or tell us or the listeners a little bit about um, your journey from architect to director of UX to vice president of UX? Kind of how'd you get there and, and how did it happen and how'd you enjoy it? Yeah, I actually started uh, as a as a web developer. Um, that's what I went to college for. Um, and then when I started getting into actually working as a as a developer, I noticed that I gravitated toward the front end development side of things and the rest of my team is more than happy to let me do that. Everyone else seemed to want to just do the back end stuff. Um, so I started uh, sketching what I was going to build before I build it. And then I started doing like hallway testing, like, hey, look at this. Where, where would you click? What would you do? Um, and I was doing that all still calling myself a web developer. Um, and I had uh, a wonderful gentleman by the name of Joe Soko uh, reach out to me. And he was the director of user experience at the time at the company I was at. And he said, hey, did you know you belonged on my team? And I said, <laughs> what's user experience? <laughs> no idea what it was. Didn't know the department, does it, uh, department existed. Um, and so then he showed me uh, what I was doing it was actually user experience research. And I was doing uh, user experience design. Um, and kind of led me down that path. Um, and I think my development background actually lends itself quite well to my career progression and how I ended up where I ended up because I can, I can even though I could never code now, it's been so many years that I can uh, kind of still speak the dev speak and I can relate to the challenges and, and problems that our engineering teams have um, and can help, help us uh, solve those. So that's really how it started. Um, as far as the the VP to like architect and director to VP, um, I was at Beyond Trust for several years as the only UXer. Um, and then when the companies merged, so Beyond Trust, uh, what was Baumgar um, and um, a couple other companies all kind of merged together. And there was like one UXer at each. So suddenly there was a team and I applied to be the director um, and was a successful candidate. Um, and I've grown my team since there. So there was three of us to start and now there's about 30. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. Wow. That is fantastic. Thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing that. That's a pretty sweet journey and congrats on Thanks. reaching the VP title. That's very, very exciting. And so obviously you're from Brand Trust. We talked, or excuse me, Beyond Trust. I don't know why I said brand trust, beyond trust. <laughs> and, um, you know, you talked a little bit about your journey, but for the listeners, could you talk a little bit about what beyond trust does, what problems you solve for your customers and maybe perhaps like a, a real world example, if one's top of mind. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, there's been a lot of shifts in the security, cybersecurity over the years. Um, and we go back to, you know, uh, there was parameter security, endpoint security, and now we're really into identity security. And that's that's really where Beyond Trust is focused right now. Um, you know, we we can't, it's, it's really like 
perimeter and, and endpoint security are important, but the, they're just not the be all end all. Uh, and that's not where we're seeing the breaches today. So we're really uh, expanding our portfolio. And like I said, we were multiple companies that merged together and that brought with it this huge kind of broad portfolio. And we're now taking those different aspects of security, uh, whether it's fault or endpoint security or remote, um, remote sessions, all these things and bringing them all together um, to kind of have one solution that encompasses all of the different uh, aspects of security. And we just added something called insights um, that really focuses on identity security. So taking data from different connectors, however you want to add into whatever you use, um, and then putting that into an ML model and spitting out, you know, things that you may want to look at. Um, and, and one of our customers said, it's great. You don't need a PhD to read it, right? Like, obviously that's my team focusing on, you know, there's a lot of security experts out there that, um, that, that are kind of thrown into the role. They wear lots and lots of hats. Um, you know, they're asked to, to, to do a lot of different things and they don't have the time or experience or skill set necessarily to do the thorough job that they need to do. Um, and that's where my team is coming in, trying to make sure that our products are more instructive um, and proactive and kind of surfacing what's important to the user. Um, and even in the case of insights, telling them exactly what they may want to do about an alert or something that's been surfaced. Awesome. Angela, um, I, I want to, this, this is really interesting. And, and I want to make sure that every, everybody that's listening really understands this. And I think um, there's often a lot of, tech leaders, business oriented, but security is generally not their strong point. Sure. Uh, and, and really, and so kind of, and, and depending on where you're at, something like identity uh, management, that may make a lot of sense to somebody and they know exactly what you're, what, what value and what's being provided there. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of times it's just, it's sometimes a, a something that's bounced around and referred to and everyone's not quite crystal clear on what that means. What, what actually, what's, what that's doing is part of the whole security chain essentially. Right. So the, the thing is, is that you have as a, especially moving more to the cloud, um, especially after COVID has really changed kind of the landscape of how we work and where we work. So endpoint security is no longer efficient, right? You, you need to be able to protect uh, where, no matter where you're logging in from, what device you're logging in from. So what you need to protect is that, that those identities, those accounts, and one person, one human can have many, many different accounts all kind of linked together. So you need to be able to protect that account and, and make sure that if somehow that one of those accounts gets breached, it doesn't create this chain reaction of access by, by that threat actor, right? So if you have um, a very good example. So um, recently, I mean, it's been in the news quite a bit, the, the Okta breach that recently happened, Beyond Trust was uh, one of the customers affected by that. And our Insights product actually brought that to our attention. So luckily, nothing was accessed on our side. But what the attacker tried to do is something called session hijacking. So our, our person on our side, 
uh, uploaded a heart file to the support for Okta. And in that was a cookie, a browser cookie. And that cookie was able to be taken by that attack attacker and placed in their own browser. So they didn't even need to actually have that login event, right? So you don't even have that as a trigger or something to look at. They were just magically logged in basically because they had that token. And the first thing that that attacker tried to do was with that ID that they already logged in as, is they tried to create an account that looked like a valid account, a valid Beyond Trust account. So Insights, our Insights product caught that um, because of the, again, it detects anomalies. So it knew that this mm -hmm. was being, this account was being used in a weird location. And it like surfaced that and we were able to stop it immediately. We made sure that that account couldn't be, wasn't the account that they tried to make wasn't able to be made and we shut down. And then we went to Okta and we were like, hey, we noticed this thing. We're pretty sure it's not on our side. Um, and we worked with them to figure out what was exactly going on. And then a couple of weeks later, that's when they did the announcement of what happened. Um, so like those are some crazy attacks, right? You didn't need you didn't need access to any endpoint. You didn't even need access to be able to log in. There was no brute force. Like these are the kind of more elaborate attacks that we're seeing, and they're really identity based. That's so that's really interesting. I mean, first the the, the fact that the insights product caught that. So that that's awesome. That show mm -hmm. that it's it really is looking for what's what's different. It sounds like it's really analyzing those patterns in all your logins, companies' right. logins and data and everything like that. And then moving up, I, I mean, this almost this sounds like an attack and attempt at, at breaching security or what actually wasn't just an attempt, it was successful security breaches based on actually taking advantage of a security best practice, which right. is <laughs> we see larger organizations moving to single sign-on and using uh, different types of identity uh, solutions. And so, I, I mean, this is, you could look at that and say, wow, that was, if you're following best practice, it actually made you vulnerable if you if you happen to use this, you know, what would argue is one of the larger players in the, in the market. And and that, seem, that would seem pretty scary to a lot of people, I think. Sure. I, and I mean, and I understand that. And obviously providers like this are going to be big, big targets, right? Because you can do a lot of damage uh, with a single provider. I mean, we saw the LastPass breach, a similar similar idea, right? Like uh, those mm -hmm. those big ticket items that attackers are after for lots of different reasons. Some financial, some just the cred that they get. I guess like there's lots of different motivations for that. Um, but I, they still they still diminish that attack surface, right? And they still make. Mm -hmm. So it brings user experience into security. The great thing about using some, a provider like Okta is that you have all of these accounts in a single place. It's easy for the user to access them securely. So they don't have reusing the same password everywhere. Mm -hmm. They don't have, they're not writing down their passwords. Um, you can share different uh, accounts and things you need. So, so that you're not um, sending passwords back and forth in an insecure manner. So while it may seem scary, like, oh, Octo is breached, like we shouldn't use it. I, I wouldn't want to discourage listeners to, to use a service like that because overall the surface of your attack area is, is get, getting diminished um, by using something like that. So. Yeah, and I think that's a really important message because it, depending on the size of the organization, say if it's, if, 
enterprise companies and in, in large larger companies, they're all they're all kind of there. They have security teams, and there's various levels of do- of adoption and investment. How seriously yeah. they're taking and how well they're doing. generally working towards best practices. That's one thing, but I, I think. On, on the flip side, you take a lot of like mid-market companies or especially in the lower half of the mid-market, much less likely to invest in that. And then when they hear things like that, they're even more reluctant to, like the ones that are on the fence. They're really the companies that most need something that are much more like the most vulnerable to those that, that have a ton of apps in their organization that they really aren't controlling or on top of. Uh, and yet they're the ones that really need that uh, an identity solution, even though it, it may have been in the news recently and, and like the Okta, but there's still, I think that that takeaway there is they're still much, much better off and more se- overall, much less likely to be a target, a successful target exactly. if they have something in place. Exactly. Yeah. And, and like I said, those smaller companies, they don't have giant infosec teams to like watch everything. I think one of the other uh, custom customers that were affected by the Octa breach. It just had a super diligent admin that had, you know, had his head on a swivel and, and noticed this, Hey, that's not a real account. I know that's not a real account, but if you have these, these, you know, we'll call them infosec admin type personas that, but that they also do like seven other jobs, uh, <laughs> as these smaller companies, they do. Yeah. They, they may not notice that. And, and, and can we blame them? Like that's not their fault. And then you have on top of that, uh, not great investment on security tools from those smaller companies. Um, it's just a recipe for disaster, really. hundred percent, hundred percent. So if we, if we zoom out to 30,000 feet, um, you're obviously a, a UX expert. Um, mm-hmm. how does good UX lead to good security? Because I, I've been doing a good amount of research on that for the past week or so before talking to you. And um, I am no UX expert and I'm no security <laughs> expert. But in reading some articles that you publish and some blog posts that you publish, it, it starts to make sense to me. So could you maybe explain that to the audience, how good UX leads to good security? Sure. I mean, my stance on it uh, is you can't have one without the other. Um if you have amazing security practices that make it really hard for users to do their day-to-day jobs and be productive, you're pretty much guaranteed that those users are going to find a way around those security practices. And typically those, those types of things that they will do to get around them are even less secure than if you did nothing at all. Um, So it's really, really important to think about the users and experience. Uh, when you're doing things like uh, creating policies, um, things like that, limiting what they can have access to when, um, if you don't make it easy to to continue to be effective in their own job, um, then you make it more likely that they're going to find a way around doing doing uh, doing or adhering to the security policies. So. It's really, really important. Maybe something that up until more recently wasn't super um, focused on, I think. Um, It was really focused on, oh, we're going to lock this down, we're going to lock this down, um, and people just have to deal. Um, And that's not how you make friends either, let's be honest. (laughs) The security, you'll hear lots of of people in InfoSec teams say, like, they're not, you know, they're kind of like the person that when they come on, everybody kind of groans, like, oh, no, here we go. (laughs) I've never done that, I promise. (laughs) So I think it's really important to think about the the um, end user and 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 what what you're doing and how it affects them, 
I mean, super easy uh, example of that um, is the uh, password rotation. So mandatory password rotation used to be a best security practice. Um, and what you ended up with is everybody had uh, passwords because they were forced to not only forced to change them every quarter, say, but then it had to be new. It couldn't be one they used before. I had to have a certain number of characters, obviously numbers, letters, things like that. Um, you can't expect people to remember that. I, I mean, it's end just up writing them down, crazy, at that point. right? You write them down. But what you ended up getting was like everyone had the same password. You know why? Because it was like winter 2023. You know, like this is what this is what happened because you weren't. Yes. In in your you know, if you think through from a security practice, that makes total sense. Right. Oh, make them change their password every quarter. That'll make the password more secure. But you're not considering the user at the end of that flow and what they will do to compensate and what they need to do to be effective uh, in their job and to continue on with their day to day. And they don't care about security as much as you do. So, so they're just going to do whatever makes it easiest for them. Makes makes total yeah. sense. That, that does make a lot of sense. And I think it's a huge part of the, the overall user experience is a huge part of, like, I see this of security and resistance to adoption. Mm -hmm. And even this having, uh, having uh, been very close to security in the past, uh, in, in different forms and, and even having our, our head of security and compliance like report into me at, at, when we were a smaller company at Sligo. So I'm very close to this and very familiar and, and ultimately responsible. So, so you think, okay, well, I'm well-informed. I'm pretty well-educated on it. I come from a technical background and I still find myself personally annoyed by <laughs> the amount of, of multi-factor authentication and it's all a little bit different. And then, you know, the text and it's like, okay, now the text doesn't come through or I got to find the app or where did I put my phone? Then right. I got to go to the authenticator app. And I'm always like, someone, this isn't, this is better and I get it, but I'm always like, this could just, this, there's, there's a massive opportunity for this to be great. And it's not quite great yet, uh, yeah. but I do appreciate having some of the single sign on aspects, for example, versus hunting things down. But I still look at them like, this is awfully clunky Some uh, still, like it's not quite there. And um, I mean, again, that, that's that's experience, that's coming out of that user experience. It creates this sort of natural resistance. And I feel like, well, if I feel resistant, like, and I, I, I get, like, I get it, I would say more than the average person. I was like, how does the average person must feel? And feel like, yeah. this is just right. I mean, it just must drive them nuts, I think, you know? I, you can ask me, Mark, I'll tell you. I'll <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so, okay. So with that in mind, with the average user um, being challenged, or uh, maybe annoyed by <laughs> the need for security systems and, and, and things of that nature. Um, and, and with your experience in UX, I guess what's what's next at Beyond Trust? And maybe there's like a, a product or a release coming out, or maybe it's overall design principles, but what's next to um, kind of like assuage some of the, the challenge that users experience when dealing with security protocols? Yeah, I think like it's it's a couple things, right? So it's that insights product and bringing, you know, connecting to all our existing products. So if you have more than one of our products, making those work together more seamlessly. Uh, again, that overworked, you know, IT admin person persona that we're talking about. 
uh, insights kind of bubbles up the things you need to know about and doesn't give you alert fatigue. That's the other thing that my team's super focused on because it's great for you to tell the user all the things that they should look at and action on. But if you do that too much, the alerts are just noise and they're not going to look at them. Right. Um, the other thing, our remote support, uh, our remote support product is really great in the sense that it's making it easy for, for the user and user specifically. So, you know, you just get the, you know, the help desk person sends you a file, you open it, you allow access, you know, the, that, that support person can get into your system, see the problem that you're having, help you fix it. And then when they end the session and then they no longer have access, right? So, but it's super easy. Anyone can do it. And, the, and that's, that's really what we keep focusing on. As far as from the, the, what we plan to do more of, there's a few things. So more instruction in the applications that we host have today, um, more guidance like in product guidance, in product help. So you don't need to read a big manual to understand how to do the next thing. Uh, just improving the usability of our products in general. So you don't even feel the need to get that manual out because it's just very clear the flow across the screen. Um, the other thing my team, I've pushed them to be more focused on is accessibility. Uh, that's really important in this age. Um, and accessibility really causes good usability for everyone. Um, and there's a quite a large percentage of the population that has or will have at least some type of disability in their lifetime. Um, and, you know, we see it super severe, but also, you know, you start to your eyes aren't so great after a while or or you know, that really affects anyone or maybe you break your right arm. You can't use that mouse anymore for a certain number of weeks. Like, can you use all the applications and things that you're used to using every day? So trying to make our applications more accessible um, and usable for everyone. And that that's a good thing for just, that's a good thing to do. It's the right thing to do. But it also is just good for business. <laughs> there's, a, um, there's more and more... Uh, lawsuits happening in the United States and Europe specifically uh, around accessibility and products not being accessible and companies getting sued for using products that aren't accessible. Um, so we definitely don't want to be any con uh, contribute anything like that for our customers. And we want to make sure that they're covered there too. It's fantastic. I'm just, I was the first thing I thought it was someone who's like colorblind and Absolutely. when it says like within CAPTCHA and it says like, click all the the red lights in the well i don't know i can't see red <laughs> what do i do i can't get into facebook like thanks exactly. a lot <laughs> exactly. so important so important that's uh I, go ahead I, I see that within our, our own product it, it came up recently in a in a thread uh, around that just and, and you see it's like oh you know like so many of us you don't like the, the the color blindness one in particular being like oh yeah those are those dots are are color based and they're telling you something but not if you can't dis discern red from green and and so it's like oh I, it was just kind of a light but light, light bulb that went off in a lot of people's heads it was like oh that's probably not the right mm -hmm. but a little a little change in the design still gives context right if you think of the way a stoplight's designed or something like you know it doesn't have to be so you know it can be dependent on other things you can still convey so it it uh i think it's interesting how you you kind of go through and then you're like oh wow somebody somebody may not 
comprehend this at all. Something that we like really take is very, very foundational. And I think that's, I don't know, that's quite fascinating. Um, but, but it leads me to ask a question now, like this seems like an area of further in, of like sort of very near-term progress in, in UX, but what's the next, what are the next big things that you see coming, Angel? What are the big things out there? What, what's really gonna change the space? What's what's gonna, is, is there anything that you see coming that's gonna be really revolutionary from a user experience perspective? I mean, you can't ignore AI as much as a, I know it's a little bit of a buzzword, um, but that natural language and being able to interact with products uh, using natural language. So when you're searching for something, when you're asking a question, uh, getting that you know natural language response back. Um, and we often joke uh, in my team that the best UI is no UI. Um, and you know we kind of mean that, right? Like if if there is just you can just ask. Imagine if you could in a world where you could just ask to create a policy. Right. I just want these endpoints with like this, these ask these attributes to do this thing and be grouped in this way. And you could just like literally type that as a natural language thing and then boom, policies created. Can, like how much easier is that than like dragging and dropping all the things and checking all the checkboxes and then like, you know, uh, I think that's probably where we're going um, as we, we, you know, we pull in more machine learning where, I mean, we are developing machine learning, like I said, with the insights product detections and recommendations, like um, being able to spot those anomalies, that that's where it's going mm -hmm. for, um, for security and then for user experience. I think it is just being able to interact with products um, like you would interact with a human, just that natural conversational type language makes it much easier to do things. It, it kind of mimics, like, it's a little different, but Soligo, we're, we do a lot of like, our, our product is considered low code, no code, and it kind of democratizes access and usability within the product. And it seems like having like this no UI where anyone can ask, you know, uh, your platform to create or implement something without having to be as technical as possible. Um, mm -hmm. It kind of even ties into like, um, you know, what we were talking about in terms of people with disabilities, not maybe not necessarily being able to access something, but it, it really just democratizes software or AI democratizes software for everyone to be able to use and interact with it, regardless of skill, regardless of education, regardless of, you know, security experience. And so it's, it's just cool to hear how you're, kind of like bringing that to the masses. Um, it'll, be, it'll be very interesting in the next few years to see how that continues to expand and, and grow. Um, yeah, I think there's such a need for it too, right? I mean, if you had asked me 10 years ago to to like give you a general persona of our users, I mean, they probably would have, like, especially our min, admin users, they would have been pretty technical. They would have had a degree or two under their belt around, the tech, around technology. They would have had security experience. That's just not the case today. Like there's just not enough security experts out there. So companies are forced to hire people with with different types of skill sets that they can kind of pigeonhole into these roles, right? So you need your, these security products need to up their game from a usability perspective because the users are not super highly technical anymore. Mm. Interesting. Right. That, I mean that that makes a that, that makes a lot of sense, uh, especially based on kind of the way that we look at automation. The, the same thing, moving away from very developer centric to more like business. We call it 
Gartner calls it business technologists, mm-hmm. so tech savvy business users, whatever one you turn. So it's it's moving away. And, and what, what I heard you just describe is really the same thing happening in security. That mm-hmm. less and less technical of of security teams, or or compliance security compliance teams, but more a little more like less leaning in that traditional tech background. And then that must that must create a, a do you think that creates more demand or challenge for your product or does it create more of an opportunity? How, how do you look at that? Is it good or bad? I mean, I'm, I like to look at things as opportunities. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think I would have survived as long as I did in the industry, but it wasn't, uh, wasn't for a bit of grit, perseverance and a, a bit of positivity. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is an opportunity. Um, you know, this isn't, this isn't going away and it can't, right? Security is here to stay and we need to be more vigilant than ever. I, again, with the, after the pandemic, things have really, you know, we knew that the the industry was going in this direction, but it was given a violent shove in this direction. And now people can work from anywhere on any device, may not even have to be a business, you know, issue device. And how do you keep all of that straight with, I think the last stat I saw was like 60% of IT security professionals are from non-traditional backgrounds. So, I mean, not and your you know, your attack surface is getting bigger and bigger mm-hmm. and the 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 bad the threat actors out there they're getting more and more hungry and there's more and more of them because you know it's big money it's big business unfortunately and how do you stay one step ahead of that um so so it's, it's not easy that's for <laughs> definitely that's for not. um so if, if I look at the landscape of uh, technology security companies, there's a lot out there. And uh, for someone like me, it's relatively overwhelming because I don't know every single thing that all of these companies do. And when a company is evaluating who to choose, whether it's uh, beyond trust or an additional provider, um, mm-hmm. I'm sure they have a lot to consider. And mm-hmm. so whether we're talking about in general or from a UX perspective, how does a technology security company stand out from the competition? Like what makes them shine? I mean, for us, what makes us different um, is we're customer centric. Um, we have amazing MPS scores. Um, we care about our customers. Our customer support is amazing. Um, and that translates through the whole company. The whole company is customer centric. Um, and that again that i think shows why the team that i have is as large as it is because obviously we're very focused on the customer the users of our products and what they need and the values our core values really lean into that as well um and our core values are not just i'll say beyond trust's core values are not just uh, writing on a page like we live them um so if i'm if i'm looking for something yeah, I might look at the Gartner Magic Quadrant, especially if I'm a larger company, um, and we're up there. <laughs> you know, I think we're first in one and second in the other. But, um, but uh, it's really about you need a partner. Uh, that's what you should be looking for, um, not just like checking the boxes of this compliance and this feature. And trust me, you can go through those features and go line by line and be like, well, this one has more features, so I'll pick this one. Well, how many you're actually going to use? <laughs> Is that really how you want to evaluate this? Instead, looking for someone who wants a company that wants to partner with you, 
like we I have a whole research team on my team and like they are so eager to talk to our customers and those customers are given the opportunity to shape those products. Uh, we have product advisory councils, which is just customer groups, user groups of real users that we meet with um, to talk about the challenge that they're having, talk about the things that they're seeing, what they wish they had, their pain points and frustrations. And we listen to all of that and all of that feedback goes into our roadmap, you know, goes into get prioritized with the and product management is a is equally invested in that as we are from a user experience team. So to me, it's really, you should be looking for that partner, someone that can partner with you, that cares about you and cares about those outcomes that you're after. That's awesome. I, you, mentioned, you mentioned Gartner there again. And um, what, what I think is interesting about that is I saw that Beyond Trust was uh, in, the, in the Gartner Peer Insights customer choi choice. And everyone always thinks of the magic quadrant and how important that is. But I always like to think that like the customer's choice, like that's cost, that's customer feedback, right. actual users. I was like, that's real. I mean, that really speaks to it in a much bigger way than what say a group of analysts or industry leaders kind of come up with is like, well, do customers really like, how is their experience? Do they really enjoy it? Is it positive working with the solution? Um, would you agree that that's for, for someone out there thinking about choosing software, uh, security software, any software, do you think that looking at the, the customer choice it, and who's recognized there is that, is that more important than your traditional ma ma magic quadrant or wave or any other, uh, sh shaping mechanism somebody has to put, put software, uh, in, in some sort of rank format? You know, I'm not I'm not going to uh, badmouth the analysts because they know they're way smarter than I am. <laughs> they know way more about this than I do. Um, but I think it, it's something, a factor that you should consider. Um, you know, and a lot of our a lot of our prospects come from, oh, you're in the quadrant. We only we only ask what, you know, we only look at co yeah. uh, companies that are in that quadrant. Um, and those are typically the bigger, bigger, uh, bigger companies. But I, again, I think, you know, you really got to look at those customer reviews and understand like wh what kind of kind of company am I am I in business with here? Because security is it's a personal thing. It, it every company's network and 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 it's different for every single one. And you need a and your compliance regulations, what you need your outcomes that you're after are all slightly different. There's no real cookie cutter solution. Um, and having a, a company that understands that and wants to talk to you personally uh, is really, really important. That's yeah, awesome. that makes a lot of sense. So we've, we've talked a lot about um, the importance of security. Um, and for those who aren't in security, um, I guess the first part of my question is, how do you get, how do you get people to care about security? And I'll, I'll leave that as kind of like the overall umbrella. Mm -hmm. um, but you wrote an article recently that talked about tips for designing a system. Um, you know, don't use fear as a motivator uh, to follow security practices, celebrating users' participation in security, explaining why to your users and, and planning for mistakes. And I think all of those are fantastic to get someone like me to adhere to security policy or protocols. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if that's going to make me care about it. And that has nothing to do with you. That's just the way that my brain is. And probably a lot of other people who hate CAPTCHAs and things like that. But, <laughs> so with that in mind, 
Um, I, I think you're almost all the way there, but explaining to our listeners, how do you get people like me to care about security? Explaining the why. I mean, if you really explain the why, why do I need to fill in this CAPTCHA? This is stupid. This takes time. I don't understand. How, have you ever seen a CAPTCHA that just had like a sentence underneath it explaining why you needed to do it? No. If you think that maybe people wouldn't be so annoyed if they knew why it was important? 100%. Right. Yeah. We're not, we're not, you know, we're users. We may not be security experts, but we're not dummies. We know that I think most people who are on a device connected to the internet understand that there is some risk there. Right. And it's just explaining how we're helping protect you uh, or your company or whatever it is, your device uh, can go a long way. Just meeting people where they are and treating them like human beings with they have feelings and concerns and questions and just trying to answer those up front and explain why we're doing this and we're doing this because we're trying to protect you that's all you so, need to do it, you used an interesting word there you you said because we're trying to protect you and um one of my favorite i guess statisticians of all time is a guy named Robert Cialdini. And he did a test recently that said, if you ask someone to cut in line, you know, maybe you'll be successful 20% of the time. But if you give them a reason and say, Hey, can I cut you in line? Because I need to do X, Y, Z, go to the doctor, fix my car, pick up my kid. If you say the word because, and then explain why the odds jump up to like 60%. And if you can explain within a captcha, Hey, we're doing this because X, Y, Z, it saves 99% of attacks. It will save your business $10,000 a minute. It will prevent your personal data from being put on the internet. Just that little explanation. And I didn't even put that together until you said the word because, but it's it's so obvious that you need to just explain why. And I, like, I don't want to do something for no reason, but if there is a reason, I'll even if it takes me an extra two seconds, I'll do it. And so right. just the explaining that why is, is really important. And I, I hope that your attitude uh, is adopted more throughout not only security products, but just in general, because, well, I'm saying because, uh, because it will really help um, people adopt and, and care about these kinds of things and, and understand and just be smarter in general. Like I love learning and I want to know why I'm doing X, Y, Z and your little explanation, whether it's, you know, a question mark that I hover my mouse over, or it's just a pop-up or it's just a line right under it that tells me why I'm doing it. I'll feel a lot better about it. And and that's just, that's really cool to hear you say, I, I kind of all just came together in my brain. Great. <laughs> awesome. And I mean, I that, goes, that goes for security training too. Lots and lots of companies have like phishing training, things like that. Explain to your employees why you're doing it. It's not that hard, but they're going to be way more invested and pay way more attention to the training. If you just explain the why. 1000%. Um, I have a few questions to wrap up because we're close to the sure. end of time. But before I do that, Mark, I'm curious if I want to at least throw you a, throw you a bone, any, any last minute questions that, that you've had brewing around in, in your head. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious, like where, we've talked about kind of security here. I mean, Angela, what you think of like for how this, what's next for the security space in general? Like what's, what's that next, like where, where, where is it going? How will it look different in 10 years than it does now? Um, I think about, again, it's going back to those identities um, and securing access, not endpoints, not assets, but the access. Um, 
because that's nearly every breach. Uh, the common thread is mm -hmm. that you compromise the right identity that has the right level of access. And that's just game over because that just causes them to be able to create another, you know, it could be completely separate department um, and just allows them the, the, the pathways to get through and to get to where they need to get, where they can be really, really impactful in a very negative way. Also, uh, I, I can't remember the stats on this, but, you know, typically they're in your system for months, maybe even years before, you know, um, so it's really mm -hmm. about, I think that that's just the, uh, the future of security is really being able to detect those anomalies, um, understand, but then surface, mm -hmm. surface it to the right people, um, whatever product that you're using, but surfacing it without that alert fatigue. So there's this balance that you have to create. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully we get to the point where, you know, our users trust those products enough to let automate some of that. So to take that off their mm -hmm. plates. Um, yeah, this whenever this happens, like block that. Just I don't even need to see the alert anymore. I'll look through I'll look at a, you know, a summary every week or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so more instructive and more automation, I think is where we're going. Awesome. Makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that. And um, so Something that, that Mark and I have been pretty passionate about with the podcast is um, just ensuring that we truly have a diverse group of folks. Also, I'm super impressed. That's the first drink of water you've had you've been talking a lot. So that's amazing. I've been like chugging tea like it's nothing. Um, anyways, uh, we've been focused a lot about kind of promoting diversity and within the tech space, within the security space, obviously um, there's definitely a lack of women. And so um, two questions for you as a woman, as a VP leader in the tech space and the security space. Um, maybe let's go back 10, 15 years. What's, what's a few things you wish you had known um, before kind of embarking on this journey? And then um, after you answer that, I have one more question about that, but let's start sure. with that. Uh, what I wish I knew. Um, when I first started in tech, I mean, I was gosh, there were not very many women. Um, um, I'm not going to, what did I start? 2002? Two years ago. Yeah, <laughs> years ago. Um, and what I did, you know, instinctually, whether it was conscious or not, um, I tried to fit in with my coworkers, um, who were all men, pretty much. Um, and a side effect of that is I actually suppress some of my more feminine qualities. So uh, compassion, empathy, talking about the why, <laughs> how I feel, things like that. Um, I really suppress that. And uh, that was my default for, for a long time, more than I care to admit. Um, it wasn't until I had some pretty amazing women mentors in my life that I started to understand that by doing that, I was doing myself a disservice because I was uh, pretending to be kind of something that I wasn't. Um, but also just doing the people on my team, the people that I worked with a disservice too. I, I think that that compassion, that empathy, um, and the my transparency and openness actually makes me a better leader. I think it makes a better team environment, a better culture. Um, and I wish, I wish that I had have known that back then so that I didn't do that to myself and to the people around me. Yeah, staying true to yourself is 
especially when it's you know you're you're a minority within a bigger community is is so important and especially when you're dealing with user experience a lot of those qualities that you mentioned are really important like the why um you know including all of the others that you mentioned but yeah it's just it, it really helps what you create be a lot more well-rounded and then i guess the second part to this question is um you know for women today whether they're in the tech world or not whether then they're whether they're in the security space or not um do you have any any words of encouragement or inspiration or, or advice to to women today you know in terms of how they can be successful how they can grow within their role I think there's two there's two things that I encourage women to do um, and that's find sponsors and find mentors so sponsors are people in the company whether they're in your department or not uh, maybe even just in the industry whether they're in your company or not that they have your back they are, they're in your corner. They understand the value that you bring, and they're the people that mention your name in a room that you're not in. Um, that is so extremely important, especially for women. I mean, it's important for everyone, but it's really important for women because we tend to be take up a little less space, um, um, sure. not be as noisy, um, and that's just. Uh, qualities that we've have from you know kind of ways we've been taught from birth whether right or wrong that's that is the the way that uh, typical culture is right now anyway so having those sponsors people that will speak up on your behalf is so so important and then with mentorship I, I mentioned I have had a string of wonderful female mentors that have brought out the best in me um, they also having a mentor whether they're male or female um, Yes, you learn a lot from them. You you gain, you know, you can gain from their experience, but they also make you not feel so alone. Um, the problem, what we see with women is not in the classroom. You know, I think they, women typically make up about half or even more than half of uh, university uh, students. Um, it's retention. It's in the end. The first five years, the dropout rate is insane. And a big, big part of that is because women feel really isolated and really alone in male-dominated fields. Um, so getting yourself a mentor, uh, collaborating with other women, um, and then allies as well. I've had a great uh, male mentor who was super, uh, he was <laughs> raised by a single mom. He he just understood, even though he was a man. Um, you know, there, there are people out there that care and want you to succeed and seeking them out um, and getting guidance from them is so important. That's fantastic advice. And it uh, definitely makes a lot of sense. And I appreciate you explaining the why because it, yeah. it, it <laughs> just makes it very clear to, to me and our listeners. And you're very good at that. Um, the last question I have before we go, because I know we want to end on time and not take up too much of your day, but um, I always say this at the end of every podcast, but I like to make sure that the people listening know that these VP and C level executives that we have are real people. They're not just robots working all day uh, who you plug in and, you know, recharge their battery. Via <laughs> um, you, you are a person outside of work. And so maybe mm -hmm. could you tell us a little bit about your passions, hobbies or interests uh, away from the, the work sphere? <laughs> sure. Um, I'm a mom. I have an 11 year old daughter um, who acts like she's about 16. Um, so. <laughs> And she's super, super extroverted, and I am very introverted, so it's a it's a challenge. Um, she's into a lot of, you know, she plays basketball. She wants to go to every event party, um, and it's a lot. 
<laughs> so I need a lot of recharge time. So I, I, I like to to read fiction in my uh, in my downtime. I, I like to uh, just kind of snuggle up on the couch. Uh, that's that's my happy place. <laughs> you know, I, I'm one, I'm a typical introvert in the sense that you know I have a few friends, but they're good friends. You know. Um, yeah, and I love uh, one of my favorite. Uh, we moved to a new a new home uh, during COVID, so it was crazy. Um, but I live um, in the city of Halifax, so it's a it's a it's a larger city, but small, I guess, compared to a lot of U.S. cities. But the 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 property that we have has like a pretty big yard for a city lot. Um, so I got into gardening. Um, and one of my favorite things to do is to listen to podcasts and garden because <laughs> you're reading and stuff. You don't really need to be thinking about it. So I listen to podcasts and audiobooks um, and uh, garden, and that's one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's really cool. To hear. I'm a cactus collector, so I'll send you a photo of my yes. collection. <laughs> You talk about gardening off off, uh, <laughs> off camera, but what I will say is um, thank you a ton, Angela, for for joining us. This has been this has been really cool because for someone like me who doesn't really know a ton of security, you made it incredibly accessible um, and and understandable. Um, so uh, for those listening, Angela, thank you a ton for joining us on the Technology Leaders Podcast. Mark Simon, our VP of Strategy, thank you a ton for being a wonderful co-host. Um, folks, we'll see you in about uh, a week or so for another episode. Um, thanks for listening and see you all around. Bye, everybody. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye.